Episode 41, Do It On Purpose. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hi, elite educators. This is Gretchen from Always a Lesson. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, this podcast is for you. I'm here to empower you. I want you to reach your potential, and I refer to you as elite educators because the term elite just really signifies what you're doing now by taking time to invest in yourself by listening to a podcast like this to help hone your craft. I want to first start by thanking you all for tuning in each week. I've received some very thoughtful reviews on iTunes, so if you enjoy the show, help me by subscribing and leaving a rating with a review. This helps tell iTunes to keep pushing out the show, and that way it helps more and more teachers each day. Today, I specifically want to thank C and for your review that you entitled No Captain Obvious Here. The review states, when I hear Gretchen's lessons, my first thought is always, isn't this obvious? And there's the rub. There is common sense involved, but always mixed in with her insights. And there is the magic ingredient. I highly recommend this podcast to all who teach and inspire, not just little ones, but all students in life. Well, thank you so much for your review. It's certainly really humbling to hear that you're enjoying the show, but I think you point out something very important that everything that I'm sharing with you is nothing difficult. It's not a new revelation. It's things that are very obvious when you're looking at a situation from a different perspective. Sometimes when you're trying to reflect on your own situation, it's hard to see the obvious pieces. But when you look at someone else's problem, it's so easy to fix it. You see all the signs or all the solutions come to you right away. And I think that's what this show is about, is really helping you realize You are equipped. You are ready. You are capable. It's just really thinking about your own situation with a new lens. Well, today I want to help you reignite your passion and potential by talking about being a teacher who does things on purpose. From the words you speak to your instructional decisions in the classroom, this podcast is especially for newer teachers, but veteran teachers can benefit from the reminder to just be consistent with purpose. So hang on, this is going to be one empowering ride. So if you've been listening for a while, you know that every episode that I do is inspired by something that recently occurred, and that just really helps make my message to you as authentic as possible because I'm reflecting on things that are crossing my path currently and I'm able to really help what is currently a need in many teachers' lives. So a recent message came in via Facebook and it's from my edgy buddy Kelly. She's a student teaching supervisor, which is pretty cool. She's out of Pennsylvania And so she even shared with me her student teachers and the mentors are listening to the podcast. So thank you so much. Love to hear that what I'm sharing with you, you're finding helpful and motivating. She happened to ask me a question that I thought is helpful if I share my response with everyone. So she said, 
When you see new teachers, in what areas are they most unprepared? I really want my students to hit the ground running when they start their first job, and I for sure don't want them to feel like their time in student teaching didn't prepare them. I absolutely love this question because it hits home with me. My personal story is that I went through the formal education process. I went to college to become a teacher. I thought four years was certainly going to be enough time to learn and grow and acquire the necessary skills, but it actually wasn't. It didn't prepare me. What I should really clarify and say, it was enough time, but it wasn't time used correctly. A lot of my classes were based in educational theory. There wasn't a lot of practical application. So although I found what I was learning very interesting, studying the history of education or some of the educational greats, that wasn't going to help me with the obstacles I was going to face my first year. It did give me a great background, and that's why I say it's interesting. And it does have a place. But the majority of my education were classes like that, and that is not going to move me to be very successful. I can only imagine someone learning to play a sport and you're sitting in all these classes learning about the history and the rules of the sport, but you never actually play. How are you ever going to acquire the skills? And so even though I had student teaching, that was such a short time in the four-year chunk of learning to become a teacher. I really wish instead of 80% classroom, 20% student teaching, it was reversed. I would like to spend the 80% of my time with teachers in actual classrooms with real kids and the other 20% in the classroom learning some of the behind the scenes or the history or what have you. So this definitely strikes me because I, what I do, the whole purpose of what I do in helping new teachers is to make sure they never feel the way I felt. I was so frustrated. I was anxious. I mean, how do you solve a problem when you don't even know what your problem is? I literally was blind and couldn't even give myself sight. That's how I felt. I mean, I literally was starving and I couldn't feed myself. Any analogy you want to use, I was alone and I didn't even know what I didn't know. (laughs) You can't even imagine how frustrating that is. And I would hate to admit that to my parents who wonderfully paid for me to go to college. You know, that was a lot of money that they spent trusting that I was going to be prepared. And luckily, I was a fast learner. I had some great colleagues that really helped me. But dang, I wish I could have avoided some of my simple mistakes I made because I just didn't know what I didn't know. And and so that's what motivates what I do now. And so when Kelly said that, I thought, yes, there are things that we can really help new teachers acquire before they enter the classroom because right now I'm working with teachers who are already there. The mistakes have been made, The the frantic anxiety is present and they're sending out an SOS rapidly. Like I can't undo what I did, but I need help now. And so what I love about what Kelly's doing is this is all with student teaching. It's before you're even getting in the classroom, you're able to really be prepared before any of those simple mistakes are made. And they're not really mistakes. It's just a decision that is misinformed. You are thinking from your own lens, from what you know in your own background information And sometimes that's misguided because you just don't have the perspective of someone that's been in the classroom the whole time. And that is what veteran teachers are for. 
And so I'm not saying that cooperating teachers, you didn't do your job and you didn't tell the new teacher everything they needed to do. It's you don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they don't know because they can't tell you. So you both are unable to help each other. So really thinking through your own experiences of mistakes you made or challenges you faced and obstacles you had to overcome, the more you have those practical conversations, the better off that teacher is going to be. I can't tell you how many teachers have said to me, you know, I never thought about that. That makes perfect sense. And so now I know when they're in that situation, they're going to know how to respond. And again, they hadn't thought about that scenario before. It's hard to predict what's going to happen when you don't have experience in a certain field. You can never dream up potential problems. You don't have enough schema to have told you this is a potential problem ahead. You just deal with it when it comes and then you reflect later like, oh, I don't know that that was the best. Let me ask someone else. Oh, well, that's an obvious solution. Why didn't I think of that myself? And that's what I said at the beginning of the episode from the feedback that sometimes it is obvious. And when you're so in the thick of your own weeds, it's hard to see what's obvious. And so what I want to share with you today is really going to help you hone in on some of the important root causes, not fixing all these other issues that have happened because of a decision, but really going back to that original decision and making some minor tweaks to really be effective, not only today, but in the future. So also, if you've been listening for some time now, you know I'm a proponent of Doug Lamov's Teach Like a Champion book. He is now in his second version. It's a 2.0. In fact, I am doing a book study right now with some other educators on Voxer, So if you're interested in joining that group, feel free to email me, Gretchen, at alwaysalesson.com. I'll add you to the group. You don't have to know anything about Voxer. We'll take care of you. Or just message me on Facebook, Always a Lesson, and I'll get you added. But what is so great is that the techniques are super simple, but they're very specific, and they can apply to any subject area and to any range of an educator. I am talking to teacher coaches and student teachers. I mean, the range of people that are gaining knowledge from these techniques is enormous. And I think even when I read it now is very different from when I read it as a first-year teacher. I didn't come across it until my sixth year of teaching, but even then, it really is different than how I look at it now because I have so many more experiences. And so I look at a technique and I think, I know what this technique is, but I just thought of 30 different ways that I can apply it or step it up a notch or, you know, add a different variation. So that's why I said this episode is really great for even veteran teachers because it's going to help you really think through a variety of options, especially if you've been doing some of the same things over and over in your career. It's nice to freshen it up and change it up and think about it from a different angle. So my answer to Kelly's question about about the area where most new teachers are unprepared, and I'm really just speaking about myself, is the lack of a thorough routine and procedure. And I'm going to explain what I mean by all that. And you might be thinking, like, that comes way later. There are so many other things that teachers need to have in order before they even think about routines and procedures. But I'm going to show you why that's actually the root of some of the problems. So in my current role, I work with principals. And the principals and I are constantly talking about what needs to happen with the staff, what are some hot spots, some areas we need to focus on. And, you know, I can't tell you how many principals say to me, this teacher needs to manage students' misbehaviors. And so I think, well, that sounds very simple for a task for me. I go in, help the teacher learn how to address behaviors, whether it's consequences or a reward system. 
But really, that's inaccurate. That's a Band-Aid because that's not the root of the problem. How are students misbehaving is the question I often ask when I'm told this. And so they put me with the teacher, you know, I don't know, let's go to them, figure it out. So the teacher might say, you know, well, they're just talking to their friends all the time. And I'll say, okay, so why are the students talking? And they'll say something like, well, they're standing next to their friends, so that's why they're talking. Say, okay, why are students standing next to their friends? And the teacher might go on to explain like, oh, well, they're splitting up into groups or going to centers. And so they just walk by their friend's desk. And so that's why they stop and start talking. And so now I'm collecting all this information. I'm like, okay, the students are talking. They're by their friends. And it's because of the way that they're transitioning. And so then I'll say, and why are students transitioning via that route? And this is where I get crickets. It gets total silence. And the teachers and administrators don't even understand the importance of a simple routine, like a transition. Even for something as simple as going to another part of the room for a different activity. I mean, you might not believe this, but transitions can happen in under 10 seconds. And students don't even have to run. No one kills each other. Everyone gets there and gets to work on time. I've seen it happen in multiple classrooms around the United States. So please listen to me when I say it can happen. So I tell these principals that the problem isn't that the students are misbehaving. The problem is that the teacher didn't explicitly teach the procedure to transition. So therefore, students found the little gray area where the teacher wasn't specific, which in this example is the route to take, and they took advantage of it. I mean, of course, they're going to find their friends and talk. So think through what you want, then think through how you want it to look and work. Then I want you to teach it and consistently use that same routine. You can't be wishy-washy. You can't use it Monday, Tuesday, you switch it up. Wednesday, you try and go back. Thursday, you try it again. Friday, you decide, let's be lax. Everyone's in jeans. We're hanging out. Let's talk a little bit more. That's confusing, and that's where the huge breakdown is. Lastly, and most importantly, you got to hold your students accountable. So if someone is not transitioning, the way you had asked, the way you taught, the way you set expectations, it needs to get addressed. Don't just say, okay, next time I'm going to say that you can't talk to your friends so that he knows. No, in that moment, be specific about what needed to improve. So the process I was just mentioning is actually four steps. It's plan what you want, teach what you want, Use the routine consistently and hold students accountable for following the routine 100% of the time. So it's called PTCA, just because that's the order I set it in. (laughs) It's not anything formal. Plan, teach, consistency, accountability. So that's PTCA, plan, teach, consistency, accountability. So I want you to think about your school day. When do things start to get pretty hairy? That moment right there is when you need to start to dig deep and look at yourself. It is not the kids. So don't say the kids did this, the kids did that. Why did they do that? It's a choice you made that created an opportunity and they took advantage. Now that is frustrating because kids are smart like that. But you have to realize why did it all go down? Because something you did or didn't do. And I know that's really hard to hear, but I don't want you to be upset by that. It's better you realize this now 
and you can make adjustments before it gets worse. And you're not a bad person and you're certainly not a bad teacher. You're just normal. And sometimes it helps when you're talking with someone and you realize, oh my God, I can't believe that all this stuff that annoyed me today is actually because of something I did. Like I was the person that knocked that first domino. So every other domino that made me so angry today is actually because of something I did. That is so hard to swallow. And some of you might even have a tear streaming down your face or you might have turned off the episode right now, but I'm sorry to share the truth with you. It's actually going to set you free. So listen to what I want you to do next. Always, always self-reflect on what you could do differently before pointing the finger at students or really at anyone in your life. Think about, okay, The students aren't answering my question correctly, okay? So let's work backwards. The students aren't understanding either my question or the material. Let's back up. The way I delivered the information could have been confusing, inaccurate, or too quickly, or without examples. It was too vague. There was some choice I made that is creating the silence where the students can't answer a question. We're going back to the transition. It was something I did or didn't do that created the students to walk that route and have the conversations for the principal to say, this is off the chain, like go help this teacher. And so what I tell the principals is there's nothing wrong in this classroom. Like stop looking at it as that the students are horrible people, that the teacher's ineffective. It's none of that. All of these are choices. The teacher made a choice, and then the students reacted by making their own choice. Both of those things are so fixable in a matter of seconds. So just, like, stop freaking out, and let's think through going backwards as far as we can go, as deep as we can go to the root of the problem. And so how do I know that a lot of this is based in a lack of a routine or at least a lack of a thorough routine. And it's because my role allows me to go out and see teachers in different grades and subjects and even schools. And the best part of that is I get to see sometimes the same students with different teachers. And my God, are they so different. You're looking at a kid that you have just been working with a teacher on forever about either a behavior plan or trying to get the root of the problem for him or her. And then you see them in another class and it's like, this kid came alive. Like what in the world? They're participating. They're engaged. They're happy. They're not hurting materials or other people. Like they're completing assignments. Like what? Two totally different children. And so you think, okay, why is this? One class is really wild and chatty, but then that same class is really engaged and showing their intelligence in another class. So what is the difference? Well, it's the teacher. And it's not that one teacher is better than the other. And it's not that one teacher is smarter or more capable than the other. It's just that one teacher thoroughly and explicitly made expectations and routines known to the kids, not just on day one, but every day and every moment. So when you're consistent and you're holding students accountable, they get into shape pretty quickly. They are capable of more than you know. Right now I'm interviewing teachers and instructional leaders to work at an East Harlem school. And one question the principals are asking me to really dig deeper on is what routine this specific educator has in a classroom during the first 10 minutes of class. 
you might think that's a really strange question and a very specific pointed question, but I can't tell you how many teachers can't answer this question. I mean, some of them who do have a routine, they struggle to really explain the purpose behind the routine. So if you don't take charge in the first 10 minutes, there's no wonder a principal doesn't want to hire you because that lets them know most likely not always, but most likely the rest of your class period doesn't magically have routines and procedures. It's a big sign that there's a lack of structure, organization, and purpose and engagement and just being a thoughtful educator. If you're not thinking through systems and procedures and you're not being able to say, I had to create this because or I wanted to create this so that... That reflective piece, that thoughtful piece is really what a principal wants to hire because it's not that they want you to come in and have a procedure in the first 10 minutes of school and suddenly you're an effective teacher. It's if you are that thoughtful with the routine in the first 10 minutes, I can only imagine how thoughtful you are with the content delivery. And that is the most important part. So it's almost like you are able to get a better idea of who a teacher is by just saying, hey, what's that first 10 minutes like? And if if it's like, oh, the kids come in and I wait for them all to get settled and I do some announcements. If it's starting to sound like you don't even have a routine, like the students walk in, they go to the back table, they pick up a warm-up sheet, they sit in their assigned area, the timer begins, the music is soft, they're working. That is so specific. I'm like, okay, this teacher like has really thought through what they want their classroom environment to be, how the sense of urgency is there that we have to get right to learning no matter how fun the hallway was and who you saw and all the excitement of your friends. It's, hey, we're getting focused and we're diving into content right now as soon as your bottom hits the seat. And so I absolutely love asking that question now because the principals are right. I mean, that really is a lens into the rest of that class. And there are people that could totally not fit this mold and, and maybe the rest of the class is super structured, but that first 10 minutes is chaos or, or just doesn't have a routine. But for most people, it's really an indicator that the rest of the class is probably the same way. But don't worry if I'm describing you right now. Now that you have the perspective from this podcast episode, you're ready to make a change. That's the old you. So get excited for the new you. You're about to raise your level of effectiveness immediately, and that is pretty cool. So where should you start? As I was mentioning, you should have some sort of do now or a warm-up or a starter, whatever you want to call it, so the kids can come in, gather whatever materials they need for the day, place their personal items in some specific location, sit down, and get to work. Like that is an ideal scenario for really getting kids to focus. And this can happen in under 10 seconds. I have seen it happen probably not under 5. I think that is a little ambitious because that would create some running. <laughs> but under 10 seconds, I would say, when you're counting like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, Really, kids can come in when they exactly know where they have to go and what they need to do and and that the time is beginning now, you know, they really come in with a sense of purpose and it can happen. And you might be thinking, like, what is the point of all this rushing and under 10 seconds? Like, that's not the focus. The focus is I really want them to learn and maybe they need more time than 10 seconds to get from here to there. But I'm going to tell you in a second why it's so important. 
I would definitely say you want it to be silent. Uh, I always played soft music. I always tell students if they can't hear the music, that means they're talking louder than that. So it's really a way for the, for me to set the tone for how loud I want it to be, and I want it silent. So if the music's really low, <laughs> you can't really talk. Most of you probably do this already, but greeting students at the door, and if you are tied up with a situation, I always have my shoulders facing the door. I could be talking with a student or a parent, and every student that walks in, I'm giving eye contact and nodding. There's some form of welcome to the class, even if I am tied up. So what is the whole purpose of this entry routine? Well, it's really just to set the tone and the mood for learning, which is a different mood than what's in the hallway, like I said. It's just time to concentrate and dive in. And it could be a review from yesterday. It could be an introduction to the new material, like a little teaser. Maybe it's just a reflection, a writing prompt. And you can play around with the different assignments. But as long as you have the routine in place, then I think you're golden. I think you can chat with a mentor or even reach out to me if you want ideas for different ways to start your your day. The second uh, routine that I think is absolutely necessary happens at the end of the class. You need some sort of conclusion, an exit ticket, discussion, something to bring it all together. And so I know a lot of teachers teach up into the bell, especially in middle school and high school, because you feel like you just have no time. The kids were late, coming from the last class, and you're rushing, 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 and you've got to get all this material out to them. So if that's you, I would just say... Think about having students read any new material prior to coming to class so that when you're actually in class, you're discussing it, you're practicing it, you're answering questions. That takes the heavy load of the delivery off and um, really gains you more time. And now that we have technology, you could do a video of yourself presenting a PowerPoint of the new material, and that's their homework to watch that. Or, you know, there are different ways to work around the time constraints here, but I really think that you need to have a formal ending to every class. It's predictable, and that's why kids really love routines, is they feel safe. They know what to expect when they come in the class. They know they're going to have an entry routine and an exit routine. And once you start tightening up procedures in all parts of your lessons, you're going to start gaining more time for the meat and potatoes of your content delivery. And that you're going to realize, oh my gosh, thank God that I really started paying attention to the clock or I told students I wanted it transitioned in such and such time because now instead of running out of time, I actually have time for announcements or I can answer questions or I can properly explain the homework or, hey, I can just give another example to better illustrate this content I'm teaching today. So at the end, it's a great time to just restate your objectives for the day. Students can share out something that they learned that was new. Um, Definitely explain how this new topic applies to their life. You can even dive in a little teaser for what they're going to talk about tomorrow. You can give an announcement on the homework, have any closing comments. But really the point of having some sort of exit ticket is this demonstration of the learning. You want to be able to say, okay, kids walked out of here being able to do X by themselves. And so even though you have your lesson plan tomorrow, you're, you're going to go home and tweak it based on what you see on this exit ticket. And so maybe it's two or three questions and maybe it's multiple choice so it doesn't take a long time. But it allows you to know where are the gaps in the learning or how thoroughly are they understanding it so that you can either create a a section tomorrow of a quick review to make sure you can re-explain it differently or better. Or maybe you just pull a few students who were pretty low on that exit ticket and you're like, hey, I I noticed you struggled yesterday. Let's hit this again and, and hopefully it prepares you for today. 
And so it's really valuable information. And your principal is going to want to say, what data do you have on your kids? Like, hello, what a great way to show exit tickets for every day and how they're doing. And again, they can be quick, but they can also really inform you because you can't be everywhere all at once to know exactly where the breakdown occurred. And so I was mentioning earlier why these transitions are, are so important. I told you I'd tell you a bit later. So if you a math person and you love the calculations and to figure out just how effective this really is. So let's say that you can save, and this is from Doug Lamov in his tight transition section of his book, which I think is called Engineering Efficiency now in his 2.0 book. Um, but it's Let's say you can save his his amount here is 10 minutes a day through tightening transitions. So, so I'll explain how that number came up. But So it's 10 minutes a day. If you can times that by 180 days, let's just say that's how many days your school year is. So that's 1,800 minutes a year. That translates to 30 hours of additional instruction. So if you have a six-hour day, that's five extra days of instruction. That is a whole review week. So you don't need to build in review into your schedule. It's because all your tight transitions you can review constantly throughout the year. Can you imagine if you had five free days? You didn't have to wake up any extra days. You didn't have to go to work any additional days, but you built in five additional days because of how efficiently your classroom is run. Like, holy cow, that is a piece of gold, guys. And so here's, let's break this down. So if you can cut one minute off each transition, so if you had 10 transitions a day, if you're in elementary school or if middle school and high school, maybe it's two per block that you're teaching. If you can shave a minute from every time students are transitioning, you think, wow, like, wow, that could be a lot of time. I don't know if I can shave that much time. But if you just don't set parameters on time, a transition could take five minutes. Like, honestly, if you just sat back and you told students, hey, go to the back table, get this, and then go over here, oh, my God, that could take five minutes. And then if you say, all right, I want this done in three minutes, and then suddenly they can do it, and you're like, oh, okay, let's try this again. Can't want it done in two minutes, and shoot, they keep doing it. You've shaved so much time off already that you've already met your quota. So just really focusing on something you've probably never thought about before, which is timing kids. Like a timer is your best friend. You can use one online, just type it in timer. It'll pop up. I totally am about empowering students. Have a kid sit at the computer. His job is to go through your PowerPoint, click your slides, turn your videos on, uh, or work the timer. And so you'll say, okay, we're, this is what our transition is going to look like. And you give your parameters and then you say, all right, 10 seconds, go. And the kids know exactly how to get there, what they need. And bam, you are just saving so much time. They're into content in under 10 seconds. I believe your principal will absolutely be beside themselves. And you are now uh, really able to deliver better content because you can slow it down. You can add more examples. You can do more Q&A because you have the time because you're not wasting it. Students walking around the classroom. Now, you're still going to have stragglers who want to take up to five minutes, but hey, this is the norm in our classroom. And if you don't get there, you're not going to finish your assignment and that's on you. I mean, really at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And when your parent says, why does my child have a C in your class? Well, he never finishes his assignments. He only gets halfway through and I can only grade what he does. And the parent's gonna not going to say to you, well, why? Why aren't you doing that? They're going to look at Johnny and say, Johnny, get it together. Why are you not finishing? I don't have time. Well, why don't you have time? 
Well, uh, I don't know. Everyone works faster than me. Well, no, Johnny. It's because you go to the trash can, you sharpen your pencil, you talk to your friend, you go to your backpack, you ask to go to the bathroom, and the parent's going to be nodding along with you like, dang, I knew it. <laughs> like, my kid does this at home when I ask him to do his chores. Like, yes, he's a time waster. You're going to have those kids, and that's totally fine that not everyone is on board right from the beginning, but that is going to be your new normal. So thinking about other routines in your day, I know we talked about our bookends, the entry routine and exit routine. So you're going to have routines throughout your day, and they're going to look different on different days. But anytime students are moving, they need a plan. So you need to map it out. I'm not joking. I would stand in my classroom and literally draw the route of how I wanted students to go. And then I would walk it to see if it made sense. Like, Ideally, I want this whole row to walk this direction, but this one desk is kind of in an awkward position, and it doesn't really make sense for that person to walk this route. So I'm going to have to let him know his route looks a little different. He's going to go around this way, but it still works. And so once you've mapped it out and you've walked it, you know that these things are going to work, but you're also able to think through potential sticky spots. You know, is there going to be an area where there's just a huge bottleneck? Maybe it's just where the furniture lines up or everyone gets to the location at the same time and now has to wait for everyone to sit down systematically and that's wasting time or maybe there's hot spots where certain groups of kids are going to convene because that's just the way the route works and you're like okay I want to avoid group b coming near group a because they're like besties and that's going to create more tension or they're going to be talking or whatever one hot spot area for me was the kleenex area because I had my trash can there it just was a high traffic area so any transition I didn't map it so students would go that way I it was fine if students needed to go to the kleenex or needed to go to the trash but I wasn't going to add traffic to that potential high traffic area if that makes sense And you want students to move orderly. So I would call them by groups or we do it by rows instead of like, okay, everyone go. And then it's just utter chaos that creates 10 more problems. So think through row one is going to go. Johnny, you're in row two. And when Sarah from row one, the last person gets to this desk, you're going to start getting up. And when your row sees you start to get up, you're the sign, they begin. And so you're, again, setting up a system for it to be really orderly. And you may think, God, this is taking forever. But really, you are going to save yourself so much time in the long run. Like, just put the time in now. And you feel like, God, will I ever get to content today? I'm too busy talking about this darn procedure. And it's just one out of my day. And then we're practicing it. And then I'm like giving feedback and we're redoing it. But trust me, like there's going to come a day where you do it in under 10 seconds and you're into content. It makes up for every day that you took up practicing. Again, you might want to think about your transition. Is it silent or is it quiet? Those are two totally different things. I hear teachers all the time saying, students, quiet, quiet. Well, they're talking, but they're talking at a lower voice that's technically being quiet. I mean, if you want it silent, that's different. Silent means no talking. So you need to be very particular with your words and your expectations so students can meet it. And and stop getting frustrated when a kid is talking, you told them to be quiet. Because quiet means just talk quietly. Be not so loud. And so he's actually complying with your request. You need to be more specific. Also think about the materials that students are going to need. And so I always start every transition with the phrase, when I say go, and then I fill in the blank for the directions, and then I end with go. I use that same phrase all the time. And kids who now lead my transitions, 
know that that's a formula to say. And so they'll say when I say go, and then they'll say the directions, and then they'll say go. And that lets students know, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. So do not move your body until I say the words go, because I'm sure you know, as soon as you say get a notebook, for example, what is everyone doing? They, you still have 20 other steps to give, but they're busy getting their notebook. And it's because kids want to do what's right. They want to follow the directions. They want to do what you're asking. So you need to be very clear about when they're to get that notebook. So I always say, when I say go and not before I say go. And that's very clear to them. I'm just listening right now. And when she says go, I can go and get all these things. So that means you can't have a laundry list of tasks. If you're, If there's a lot of things you're going to ask students to do, split them up into chunks and maybe it's students are going to gather all the materials and then wait and then you're going to give your next set of directions for the actual transition and that's totally fine so i might say something like when i say go you need something to write with and something to write on go and so then they're going to get paper and pencil or pen or whatever and then i might say when i say go stand up walk to the computer sit down in your assigned spot and begin working go. So it's very clear. They know where they're going to go, where they're going to sit, and that immediately they're going to start working. It's also a good idea to just repeat. If you have, like I had four steps there that might be kind of lengthy, I could repeat that before I said go, just so it solidifies in their head hearing it one more time, or do a check for understanding. So I might say that, and then I'll say, Johnny, tell me again what we're doing. And Johnny will say, you're standing up, we're going to the computer table, sitting in our assigned spots, and starting to work. Then I'll say, great, go. So let's think through what we can do right now. I want you to chunk out your day. So if you teach one subject, choose just one class period and start scripting out your typical day, your typical lesson. If you're teaching elementary, just choose one subject and do the same thing. But I want you to script out the flow. So maybe your flow is give announcements, go over homework, deliver new information, students practice, give homework. So maybe it's something simple like that, whatever it is. So once you've written down the actual flow of your typical lesson, then write down all the transitions that happen in that typical lesson. So maybe it's students get materials, students go to the bathroom, students go into centers, students turn in work. Wherever students are physically getting up to do something, that's a transition. Once all your transitions are written down, write down the routine for each transition. So first you wrote down your flow, then you wrote down your transitions, just the name of the transition. Or the task and now you're actually scripting out what the transition rules or directions are and so this is where you're going to realize shoot I don't have a specific routine students just know to get up and get pencils or crayons or glue sticks or paper or whatever from this table well that's not actually a very thorough routine so instead of students just getting up throughout the lesson why don't you have designated times where they get specific materials? So when they walk in in the beginning, they know they need paper for the warm-up. So their routine is to come and grab paper and sit down. I don't want them coming to sit down and then getting up to go get paper. That's inefficient. That's wasting time. But they don't need to grab glue sticks. That's going to be something happening later in the lesson. So they don't need to grab that yet. So it's fine to really think through, even though it's one materials table, they don't need to get all the materials for all the day unless you have done that to save you time, which is very nice of you.
So this is really going to push your thinking as to what is the actual routine for that, getting a Kleenex. They just get up when they want, and they go blow their nose, and they sit back down. Well, maybe we really need to think through what that's going to look like. Or maybe it's a bigger transition, like students need to go to a corner of the room to fetch their specific notebook, and then they go to this corner of the room to meet with their group. Like, that's a huge transition, and so you really need to think through every section of that routine. And so make a list of what's working, what's not, any obstacles you thought about. And remember how I said map it out. Like draw your desks. Draw how you want students to move. If you're still in your classroom, walk that same space. You want to make sure that you, if you were a student that you have thought through what are going to be the potential hiccups in this pathway or in this routine. Like I was mentioning before about the paper. It makes more sense to go get the paper prior to needing the paper than to go sit in your area and then realize, shoot, I don't have paper, and go get it. So here's things to consider. You want to think about time. How long will students have to get there? Materials. What do students need to be successful after the transition? Order. In what order will students move to get there? Volume. How loud can students be during the transition? Is it silent or is it quiet? Pathway. How do they get there? What's the route? Okay, so to review those things to consider is time, materials, order, volume, and pathway. I wish I could think of a cute acronym, but my brain is kind of fried right now. So just know it's time, materials, order, volume, pathway. And each of those components are necessary when planning a transition because that's what I was talking about, about it being thorough. There are tons of teachers out there that have routines and procedures, but they're not thorough enough. And they create other issues. And it's like, well, if I had just told the child that they had 10 seconds, we wouldn't be in this predicament. Or if I had told the child they needed this, this, and this, they wouldn't have had to walk back. They wouldn't have to fight with this kid. They wouldn't have to ask to borrow this. So there are a lot of choices. And a lot of it is from omission because you didn't think through this particular part that creates another issue. And you're so frustrated at the end of the day with these kids. And then you realize, dang, it's because something I did or didn't say and do. But I hope that all these suggestions you're hearing today, you're starting to get empowered to say, I'm going to change the way I do things, and it's going to have a huge impact on my students. And you might think, like, wow, okay, you're telling me that every transition, I need to think about time and materials and order and volume and pathway. Like, holy cow, that is so detailed. Who has time to do this with every routine? But even if you're a teacher that has four or five blocks that you teach, you can have the same routines and procedures with different kids, even if it's a different subject. Like getting materials is something everyone does. You don't need to have a different procedure for class A than you do class B. And same thing with elementary teachers. Just because you're in science now doesn't mean you can't have the same procedures as you did in language arts. There are some procedures that are going to be very specific to certain classes or certain subjects, and that's fine. But for the most part, a lot of your routines are going to be repeated each and every day, and everyone's just going to be in a flow, and it's going to be your new normal, and it's going to be fantastic. Remember, all of this thinking time right now and planning and rolling it out with students and practicing and making them do it again and again and again <laughs> till it's done correctly, it's really saving you time in the end because you're just putting the time in now, and it's going to take 
all this brain power to teach it and and teach it well, but it's going to get better. It's going to get faster. It's going to get smoother. And you can ensure that it does by just giving your students feedback, like nice work getting to your location in 15 seconds. When we come back to our seats at the end of the lesson, I want to see you do it in 10. And then right before that transition, you said, remember, we did it in 15. We're trying it in 10. Go. And so students are now kind of empowered and encouraged and that competitive spirit comes out like we are going to do better than we did before. And they know what to change instead of saying, nope, that wasn't good. Do it again. Or, oh, guys, too slow. You're being very specific. That was 15 seconds. I want it in 10. So they're it's so tangible. They're able to say, if I walk just a little faster, I think I'm going to be able to do it in 14 seconds, 13 seconds, whatever. Or you might say something like, well done getting to your location and our goal time of 10 seconds. And then everyone cheers. And then you could say, but it was noisy. So remember, no talking during transitions. Or to be positive, because no talking is a negative phrase. You could say, silence, refrain from speaking during a transition. I'm looking for that next time. Or I'm looking for that tomorrow. Or if it was so bad, you're going to say, we're going to do it again and do it right. Go. And so you can even say to them, remember that the transition is silent, but once everyone's in place, that's when you can resume talking in your small group. And kids love that. They love to know, hey, you're not talking just in this quick 10 seconds, but the rest of the class you get to talk. You want your students to know what they did well and what they need to improve on so that there's just a purpose for trying it again or doing it better next time. It's not, you know, get there in 10 seconds because I said so. It's get there in 10 so you can have time to collaborate with your peers. Now kids are seeing the reason you want it to be quick and efficient. And they're motivated because they can't wait to talk to their friends. And they're willing to wait to talk right now because they get to talk then. That's the reward. And that speaks their language. So we gave you a ton to think about today, and what I really want you to know is reflection is the key to improvement. So you are now equipped, after listening to this episode, to step up your game by doing things on purpose. And yeah, it takes time and thoughtful planning at first, but soon you're going to be able to have more time to teach difficult content, more time for students to practice new skills, more time for your students to grow as people. It's like training for a marathon. You know, waking up each day sucks. Running when it's rainy and cold, it sucks more. But when your body is finally conditioned and you're ready for that big race, it's well worth it. And that's exactly what you're doing right now is you're training your students and yourself for a successful school year. So I gave you two big chunks of tangible next steps to think about. And so I just want to do a quick reminder. So reminder number one was PTCA. That was plan, teach, consistency, and accountability. And what to make sure your transition has. That's reminder number two. Time, materials, order, volume, and a pathway. If you want this free resource, just text the word transition to the number 33444. So that's the word transition, T-R-A-N-S-I-T-I-O-N, to the number 33444. And you'll get materials to help you have effective transitions. All right, elite educators, that is a wrap for this week's podcast on being a teacher who does things on purpose to maintain order, efficiency, and rigorous instruction in the classroom. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.
podcast is sponsored by the Educators Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details. (laughs) 